Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Leaders and Founders podcast. My name is Adam Kinder, one of the co-hosts here at Leaders and Founders and a co-founder of Gathered and Found. Um, really, really excited to bring you today's episode. Um, I was delighted and very excited to be joined by uh, the inspiring and absolutely lovely Amanda Thompson. Uh, so Amanda is an awesome, awesome lady. Um, she has such a, an interesting and really uh, kind of unique journey, which is why I was so keen to, to spend some time with her. Um, she is the CEO and founder of Thompson & Scott, uh, the world-leading alcohol-free, organic and vegan sparkling wine business. Um, also the founder of the, the amazing brand Naughty, um, which has had a meteoric rise um, over, over the last sort of couple of years. They're now live in so many different countries. You can find their products all over the world, um, some of the most amazing hotels in the world. And they're also the, uh, the partners for the drinks at the Shard. So great, great, um, you know, business and a new company. You know, it's very rare to see new uh, sort of businesses entering into the sort of champagne and, and wine space. Um, but Amanda's story is so, so incredible. I'm really excited to, to give you all a little bit of a glimpse of that. Um, after a very successful career in broadcasting and journalism, where she spent a lot of time interviewing uh, some of the most famous people on the planet, um, you know, in her space, she had a bit of a, yeah, just a bit of a, an idea and she loved the industry she was very passionate about you know the sort of beverage industry wine champagne um so it actually led her to, to moving herself and her whole family to uh, to paris where she studied at le cordon bleu which is a leading uh, leading fine culinary sort of art school um you know within sort of business and food uh, some of the most famous and most successful uh, sommeliers um you know in the world have, have studied there and it led her to go on to found Thompson and Scott. Um, they have some amazing things sort of in their pipeline. They're now uh, soon to be launching in Waitrose. They've had an amazing uh, sort of recent history and success. And I think Amanda's story is so important, I think, because there are so many people who have had successful careers or, you know, have had careers in general, maybe haven't taken that step. But Amanda is the true, um, you know, the true sort of poster for entrepreneurial spirit um, in terms of what she has actually achieved. And this is just the start of their journey. Um, I've seen them absolutely everywhere. So I really, really can't wait to see how well they do and some of the successes that they go on to, to have over over the, the, the span of their career. You know, she's really big, I think, on you know leaving a legacy and building something which she's true passionate about and I know full well you're definitely going to get that from Amanda today she's um really high energy um as she says so herself so strap in and try and keep up where you can um but yeah she's an incredible woman she's doing some amazing things and I really really hope you enjoy this one so um yeah please enjoy please like and share continue to uh to pass the podcast on to uh to people you think yeah could get some some inspiration some insight from it and I'm sure some of Amanda's words are going to give you uh yeah a lot of uh, a lot of food for thought so without further ado I'll pass it straight through to Amanda and um, yeah, enjoy. So, hey, Amanda, thank you for joining the uh, the Leaders and Founders podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Adam. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's great to have you. And as I, as I said, you know, I'm really, really excited to uh, to get some time. I know you're super, super busy. So thanks for uh, for sparing some time with us. Um, and yeah, we, we've had so much anticipation for, for people really, really keen to, to hear your story. Um, obviously, the brand is getting, you know, really, really big, you know, not just in the UK now, but globally. So a lot of people are aware of the brand and I think really, really keen to hear from you. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to picking your brains a little bit. Um, but just for, for anyone who maybe you know, doesn't know who you are. Could you just give us a bit of an intro just around a bit of your background, you know, and where you're at today? Sure. So we're shifting the global drinks industry, one beautiful bottle at a time. Um, historically, I was in the, the party space with champagne and Prosecco and sparkling wine, and we've pivoted to alcohol free, and that is our big focus. So bringing the party, but without the hangover in the morning. Perfect. Well, that sounds like something I can definitely get on board with. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's a fantastic brand and I'm really keen to understand, you know, I guess the process because, you know, for, for people obviously tuning in. So Thompson and Scott, you know, it's, it's an amazing brand and you've, you're really kind of revolutionizing, I guess, this side of the, of the space, definitely from the alcohol free side, but also, you know, from a vegan perspective, I guess, as well. Um, and I think one thing, if you could just give us a bit of an intro really around the process that goes into that. There, there are so many things I assume that people just don't understand goes into actually making one. Would, would that be correct? Absolutely. Um, in 2020, you have no idea what you're drinking. Mm -hmm. which, yep. If you pause and think about that, it's kind of crazy, if not even shocking, actually. Um, wine's the only legal consumable I can think of, legal consumable, um, where you actually don't know the ingredients. There's no legislation suggesting that you need to know what's in the bottle. And most people kind of go, oh, well, isn't it grapes and fermented alcohol? And it's actually a whole lot of other things. Um, and rather than set out to destroy an industry I love, because I came from an obsession with the pop of a champagne cork, that was kind of my early buzz, really, and, and the romanticism of that. And, and rather than setting out to destroy an industry that, that I really revered, mm -hmm. I figured there was a way to actually create incredible bottles, but be as open and transparent as, interestingly, countries' legislative um, issues would allow. That's a whole other complex story but but each country has a very complex legal system of what you can and can't say but ironically you can't actually say what's in the bottle i mean crazy right yeah i know it is absolutely mad and i think um you know as, as we've been running our sort of food tech and sustainability series you know so many things have come to light that it's made me feel pretty naive actually um you know as a consumer that you just don't sort of take into consideration what you're actually consuming you know with wine with alcohol you know you just kind of assume that it's fine i guess or you yeah, know yeah but i don't think you as a consumer should bear that responsibility i don't think you should feel naive i think it's really up to the industry to be doing the educating and i think in so many ways so many industries have created smoke and mirrors and pulled wool over consumers' eyes. And I, I don't blame the consumer one bit. I blame our industries. Perfect. Well, good. The, the heat's off me. <laughs> exactly. So you're okay. Don't feel bad. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Um, so look, before we kind of really get into it, because obviously where you're at now is, you know, an amazing place. You have some brilliant partners, obviously launching with, with Waitrose. You know, you guys are in a, a, a brilliant place, which... I'm sure so many entrepreneurs and founders, you know, kind of dream of getting to that uh, to that place. 
but I'm sure it wasn't a plain sailing, right? In the end of the day. <laughs> um, and, you it, know, it, it wasn't and isn't, to be honest, Adam. Of course, I can imagine, especially with the year we've had, and, yeah. you know, we've just obviously had the, the news of, you know, the, the, the new lockdown measures which come into play. So some more challenges for the whole industry. But, um, but before we get into that, can you just give us a little bit of background, I guess, just from your, you know, kind of early career? Because you worked as a, as a broadcast journalist. That was your first main career, right? It's funny, really. I'm much more comfortable in your seat. I like asking the questions, not answering them. It's strange when I switch. Um, yeah, I was a broadcaster all my early career, a long time. Um, I'm in my late 40s now, and I was born in the 70s, and I grew up um, with a mother who was a bit of a hippie, and, and she brought me up on a plant-based diet, which was quite radical then, I suppose, in England in the 70s. Um, and I ended up in broadcasting. Uh, I was terrible at hard news. Um, this isn't video, but I've got a big smile, big eyes, and I'm very expressive. And, and for serious news, that wasn't really <laughs> what was needed. And I ended up doing what, what I sort of would then have called the fun stuff, which was the arts, arts world, which was really a passion of mine. So I'd be at sort of film premieres, can art openings, you know, back in the day before social media, when you worked hard and played hard and, um, and champagne was my buzz. And that was really how I fell in love with the industry. But that was also the moment when I started realizing that I was having this incredible diet in terms of my food. Um, and there was always a joke amongst all my friends. There still is about my, my, my sort of ridiculous amounts of energy, even in my late forties. Um, and then I'd be drinking one or two glasses. I was never a big drinker of something. And, and it was strange, this dichotomy between there not being this direct relationship between sometimes having one or half a glass and feeling really bad in the morning, or sometimes having maybe two or three glasses and still feeling good. And that was really what set me on the exploratory journey of this idea of whether it were possible to, to work in, in a, originally the champagne business and, and create incredible bottles, but, but really try and cut sugar, be organic, be vegan, be halal certified now in the case of our alcohol free, but all of these sort of potential opportunities for transparency and openness and cutting nasties out of the bottle that was what set me on the journey yeah fantastic and yeah i think everybody listening in has certainly had at least one probably uh, a whole plethora of awful hangovers and you know the kind of regret in the morning definitely shouldn't have switched drinks or shouldn't have had that last bottle yeah well, bottle in my case unfortunately um but but you're young it's not so bad when you're young it's when you get into your 30s the 40s it, it gets much tougher yeah i mean I, I turned 30 um in in march this year and you know Downhill what? from now adam yeah <laughs> it, it literally felt like something flicked the switch literally two or three beers now and i'm uh, i'm in a state the next day <laughs> Exactly. So if you could get into the beer space as well, that'd be fantastic. But that's a, a completely different thing. But I think to be fair, there's enough entrepreneurs doing great stuff in the beer space. My, my one of my sort of partners um, founded Camden, and then of course you've got all the exciting innovations in the alcohol-free beer space. You've got all the brew dog space. I think the beer space is quite well covered, actually. Yeah, to, to be fair, I think it's probably because I haven't looked for it, to be honest with you. Um, so that definitely is on me. There are good options out there. I just- uh, I'm, I'm a wine girl, you see. So I, I'm only looking at beer from the outside in. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, look, I mean, yeah, wine is uh, a bit of a passion for, for my wife and I. We, we do like, yeah, I mean, red, white, rosé, champagne. We're, we're pretty easy, to be honest with you, as long as it tastes nice. But 
Um, but no, I think, you know, this year in particular, you know, over the last few years, there's been a really big movement towards, you know, wellness, nutrition, you know, actually understanding your food a lot more. Um, you know, we've made quite a few big changes this year off the back, actually, of our sustainability series where, you know, we've been speaking to people uh, from Olio, like Tessa Clark, you know, great entrepreneur and founder, you know, who are making some massive sort of waves and trying to improve people's lives, basically. Um, but look, I think it's something that people definitely need to be paying a lot more attention to. And we, we do, I do, you know, as, as a consumer for sure. So I'm really keen to understand some of the things that you do because i couldn't actually tell you how wine is made you know as you mentioned you know grapes something else must go in there and it tastes good and i enjoy it on the other side but what is the normal process i guess of how wine champagne how it is actually made well the fermentation processes for sparkling wine are different for champagne which is technically wine is historically so much more expensive because it's a longer process and, and, and you get the fermentation in the bottle and then you get a sparkling wine like Prosecco where it's much faster the making process and it's produced um, in the tank and then you can also have a cheaper method with sparkling wine where CO2 and the fizz is, is actually added injected so all of these play into the price point, but 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 aren't very well publicised. I don't think on a simplistic level. And then of course now our big focus is is the alcohol-free sparkling world, and that's a whole new ball game that again is is completely misunderstood because it's such a new category. I think where your dealcoholisation process is mm. taking a really good sort of organic wine and then de-alcoholizing it. Um, there are a couple of methods to do that, um, but as is done via, via vacuum distillation. But yeah, this would be a whole other podcast where we could yeah, get into detail yeah. with this. But, but, I, but going back to my point about smoke and mirrors in the industry, I don't think we're, we're great at, at just really explaining the, the simple messaging. And I think um, a lot of my industry tends to just assume that we all know what we know uh, and it's almost like we don't communicate it in a really clear way and originally one of my focuses was this idea about democratizing fine wine and actually you know going back to your, your point about wellness we all know that alcohol really has no part to play officially i say that as somebody who loves the alcohol business in wellness actually so my original miss mission was to say you know let's drink beautifully or not drink at all so let's have a glass of something really delicious and organic with less sugar you know and then just have that and then switch up perhaps to alcohol free and now we're, we're front facing alcohol free really as a brand that's our big push um but the wellness aspects are really interesting and, and complex one. And I think going back to the idea of democratizing fine wine, you know, I think we've got a huge opportunity to really shift the industry. And then I believe that the trickle down effect comes in and consumers hopefully can all start to realize that, that organic is best, less sugar is best. And then the cheaper brands that are really packing their bottles with sugar, because to, to make a really simplistic statement about how you make wine, you know, to on the supermarket shelf to hit, you know, like between the, the five and eight pound point, which is unfortunately where a lot of consumers are used to playing, you add a ton of sugar and you often add a ton of chemicals. And that's exactly the same process really as with processed food, but we've just never as an industry really been prepared to, to, to blow the lid on that one and discuss it. But basically that's how you create, duty is so expensive in this country that if you're, if you're spending five pounds on a bottle of wine, sadly, 
virtually nothing is going to the liquid and it's get, you know you've got a ton of sugar and chemicals in there it's kind of heartbreaking really when you've got so many incredible artisan producers around the world making wonderful wine that just never gets to the supermarket shelves because of the you know the lack of branding and money yeah of course and it is something that you don't often think about i think i mean look this year has been challenging for so many people right you know so obviously the the price tag is important obviously to, to the masses um, but I think, you know, for, for people who wouldn't mind spending perhaps, you know, maybe an extra sort of five, five plus pounds per bottle, if that actually takes away, you know, a pretty bad feeling you get the next day and it's actually a nicer wine and you feel like you're actually contributing to like, you know, family run businesses, you know, businesses that truly care about it. That seems like a bit of a win win for me. Absolutely. And I always say to people, forget my brand for a moment here. This is nothing to do with my brand. This is just to do with sustainability and the wine. <laughs> you know, spend a couple of quid more and just buy organic. Literally, I, I was talking to some young people the other day at university and I, and, you know, they, it was their first journeys into, into wine. And I just said, if you go to your supermarket, they've all got some, just literally consider, it might be one or two pound more, sometimes three, get a bottle of organic. You know, that's the really simple switch up that you can make with wine that will make a really big difference, not just to, you know, potentially what you're consuming, but also, you know, to vote with your feet and say that you want your wine to be made in a sustainable way. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, th I think it's, it's so important. And, you know, especially now when so many, I guess, small businesses, you know, personalised businesses, they're, they're obviously struggling, right? And, you know, the hospitality industry, unfortunately, has had, you know, huge challenges, have so many more to come over the next few months as well. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're listening in and you've never had organic wine, I have more recently, to be fair, because one of my friends is a bit more, you know, he, him and his wife live in Hackney. They're quite sort of, they're vegan. So I it's very hip now, isn't it? Amongst that kind of crowd, it, it is considered hip. And I don't think other people should let that put, put, put them off because people can get nervous and think, oh, if it's hip, it's going to be expensive. But my point about the supermarkets is if you get an own brand organic one, you know, at least you're still playing in that space. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was the same just on the beer. It's the same as craft beer. I remember the first time I had a pale ale and I was like, no, I'm not cool enough to drink this, but now it's widespread. So hopefully organic wine definitely follows that trend as well. Yeah. Um, so just talk us through the early days, because I mean, it's incredibly inspiring to just completely change careers. And I think so many people would love to do that. But there is obviously a huge element of fear, you know, I guess fear of failure, you know, just the fear of the, the struggle, the, the journey that that would look like. Um, was it literally you just had to follow your passion? Was that the kind of deciding factor for you? Yeah, it's always funny when you look back, I think, as an entrepreneur, at different sort of key moments. And, and, and when I hear other people's stories, I'm aware that we all sort of slightly mythologise moments. You know, there was this light bulb moment. And, 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 and I think we can be sort of guilty of creating our own sort of mythical stories about those times. Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of, of things, if I'm honest. But I had such a wonderful career in broadcasting, absolutely loved it. And there was a moment I remember where um, one of my friends, I think it was, said to me, who, who do you really want to interview? And I couldn't think of anyone. And that's not for a moment to say. I was listening to David Frost's son the other day as an incredible late broadcaster, David Frost, and how he'd interviewed everybody notable. And it's not to say I had by any stretch, but it's used to illustrate the fact that I, I sort of felt like my career in the art space in my mind was done. 
And, and as a broadcaster, you are technically a bit like an actor. You, you're, you're a pawn in an editor's game in the sense that you're not really in charge unless you're incredibly influential of your own stories. You know, you're deployed on stories. And, and things were shifting in my industry. You know, we were getting really um, involved with the culture of celebrity and, you know, the arts world in the old days before social media, you know, it was quite a different world. I mean, you know, you'd sit down with whoever it was, you'd sit down with Johnny Depp for a couple of hours, maybe sometimes and do an interview, you know, it, you wouldn't necessarily have the publicist sitting in, you wouldn't, it was a whole different world really. And I think that was changing and I really, wanted to use an entrepreneur's cliche I did want to make a difference in the world actually and I did feel like I needed to leave some sort of legacy I think and that wasn't even thinking about death necessarily um that sounds very doom and gloom but but I come from actually I only realized it recently entrepreneurial parents I mean, my father was an immigrant um and made his own way, you know, your classic five pound in your pocket story from Pakistan. And my mother was a sort of hippie who actually used to deliver misery on a bicycle in the 70s, not, not in any fashionable way like it is now, but to put food on the table because my parents split when I was young. So I think when I actually look at all the touch points, I, that was really what led me into the entrepreneurial space. Um, the, the failure thing's an interesting one. Um, I think every entrepreneur, if they're honest with you, will tell you that fear of failure to some greater or lesser extent is, is what drives them. I'm fiercely competitive, but there's a lot of things I'm open about not being good at. And that's a really funny sort of character trait. Um, uh, you know, my kids laugh because in our family, you know, a game of Uno can really go the wrong way. Um, but, so I, I think all of those went into the mix and led to me deciding that I was going to create my own, initially, my own champagne brand, which I now realise is not a very normal thing to do. In fact, I, I don't know if anyone's actually ever done it because... The Ace of Spades and the different brands that have been created have always been spin-offs. So it might even be that I'm the first person in the business in the way I did to have done it, actually. I think it's only really now I realised that it was uh, quite a radical step. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think, you know, when you, if, if you take champagne, for example, you know, it's presumably through obviously marketing, advertising, branding, you think of the same players, right? You mentioned obviously Ace of Spades, they really hit the party space, you know, nightclubs, fancy lights and sparklers and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it's great. I mean, I'm absolutely loving speaking to you already just because, uh, yeah, it, it seems like you are quite a rare and unique sort of new kid on the blog, which is amazing. And you've had some great success and I'm sure, you know, so many, you know, so much more to come as well. Um, and I guess it, what did, once you decided that's what you wanted to do, obviously you, you um, went to, um, uh, to Paris, right? You moved your whole family to Paris. And what was, what was that like? Was, uh, that was obviously a seismic shift, I guess, in your everyday yeah, life. Yeah. And I think um, not everyone, of course, is able to take such a dramatic step. And while my husband um, isn't wealthy and actually he's just recovered from a life threatening disease, that's another story. Um, but I had that support network, I guess, um, but we were a two income family, actually. So it was it was quite a 
yeah, I guess it was kind of a crazy step. I remember my friends and family thinking we'd slightly lost our minds, actually. Um, and um, I guess really grateful to have had a partner who supported the, mm. the crazy idea. Um, and we moved our kids there. We moved our whole life there. And um, we lived in a tiny apartment. And I, I went back to full-time studies. And I remember credit carding uh, the course, obviously not always to be recommended, particularly not in these um, <laughs> sort of rocky financial times, you know, but yeah, I guess I was all in then. And I think for me, part of that entrepreneurial sort of first step, seismic shift of the journey was once we'd done that, I, I, I couldn't look back, you know, and I think there is something in that once you, you've gone all in, what, how can you fail, I guess? I, I guess that was my psyche at that point, yeah. but which I can't pretend wasn't at times terrifying. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it, it would terrify most people, <laughs> to be honest with you, but obviously the opportunity to, to study at the Cordon Bleu School, you know, world-renowned for, for, for their work and, and some of the people that they've produced. And what was it like being a part of that, I guess? You know, being sort of, I guess, in the walls and having such great mentors around you? It was very strange. Um, and mixed times actually, it was tough. I was um, a student who was much older than most other students. And that's not to say, actually, I usually go on brilliantly with 20 somethings, um, probably because of my energy and, and open-mindedness, but they were students from all around the world who mostly, I realized when I was there, wanted to be sommeliers to right. a large degree. And this wasn't a sommelier course. And that's obviously training people to work in, in restaurants. Um, my, business plan and an idea at that point the plan wasn't fully formed I must be honest but the idea was actually really very left field compared with all of the students because um, even the older students that were with me on the course um, mostly were already in the industry and had a, had a very specific sort of F&B reason for being there so I was really out on a bit of a crazy limb and the Cordon Bleu teachers and even my my teachers, my specific sommelier teacher would have said to you, I would be the craziest, least likely student. I was an ex-journalist, remember, I'd had a career. I had very strong opinions that I wasn't afraid to share. I had a radical idea that everyone thought was a bit nuts. Um, so it was an unusual time and um, it was almost the best of times and the craziest of times. But but um, I went from being student least likely to, to winning their entrepreneur award in 2017, um, which I only share to say what is achievable. I, I would have never, ever in a million years have expected that would have happened to have beaten culinary students and got an award from them because right at the beginning I think they all thought I was nuts quite frankly and literally. Perfect like, who's this maverick who's moved over from uh, from the UK? <laughs> oh no it's, it's absolutely fantastic and how long how long was that course as well and how long did you? I did a year's full-time course and then we stayed another couple of years in France where I was spending time really honing the idea, getting to know different producers. I was still doing a little bit of freelance work. I, I've always done voiceovers. And so I would do a little bit of freelance work to bring some cash in. Um, also trying to juggle the, the, the kids and looking after them. Because at, at that point, my son was quite young. Um, and so we moved back um, 
And then the idea was to launch the brand in London because I didn't want to sell snow to the Eskimos and trying to sell my <laughs> radical champagne idea in Paris, I think would have been a step too far. So we, we were always set to move back to the UK and, and, and then launch the brand. So, so that's what we did. Yeah, perfect. And what does that process look like? So what were the kind of first things that you had to have in place? Obviously, great producers, I suppose, which you trusted, you know, as, as valued partners. But I literally would not have one idea of how to even get into this space and how to start building a company, um, you know, it, it, building a brand, you know, building a, a wine business, a champagne business. So be fair, nor did I. Um, and I think it's important to <laughs> say that and share that. And I think not enough entrepreneurs if they've come from a separate career and gone into a new one, which lots of course do, uh, maybe open enough about that. And I think why in many ways it's a challenge, of course it's a challenge. I think it can also be a very notable strength because you're approaching something with such fresh eyes mm -hmm. and what lots of people would call naivety. Um, and although that can be a dangerous thing, I also th think it can be a very notable worthwhile way to approach a business because mm. you're learning as you go and of course I know as well as you probably do now Adam that lots of people who shout a lot about knowing lots of things um it's often more to do with their ego than anything else and for me life is about learning and about a journey and I think that coming in with fresh eyes and asking questions, 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 which is where I, I often remember that my journalistic history is so notable in that I ask questions all the time and no questions ever silly as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's often the silly questions in inverted commas that people are afraid to ask that are the most obvious ones that people have never bothered to ask and nobody knows the answer to. A bit like jargon in any industry. We all know marketing, any industry has got such complex retail, such complex jargon and the wine business is the worst for it. But as soon as we start asking questions, that's when we learn and I guess this goes back to that idea of a business growth mindset. And, and I don't think anyone can ever be really successful unless they are prepared to, to adopt that approach. So I, I'll just go back to your point and say, I didn't either. And I just learned along the way. And that's not to say mistakes weren't making and aren't making. Um, aren't making? Uh, Is that a word? Making? Um, no, we can make it a word. It's fine. We can make yeah, it Yeah. Uh, uh, and... Um, and you learn, you know, and, and hopefully the mistakes um, aren't too tragic. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, you don't have a super, super tragic mistake, but, um, but I think it's such a valid point and, you know, something which so many people have said, you know, over the series, um, the 30 or so episodes we've, we've now run is that, you know, I think so many people, when you step into that founder seat, maybe for the first time, you know, if you've been part of a big organization before, there's that just, everyone assumes that you know the answer to everything because you are in charge technically right and you're running the business but I think so many people have said having the ability to actually just be really transparent and say you know what I actually don't know the answer to this let's look into this together and let's learn as a process it's stood people in such good stead I guess um, you know on that journey as they've really found out the identity of their company, their own identity I guess as a leader as a founder you know how you yeah do. I mean I don't want to undermine the importance of leadership of a team. And you know, I'm not 
one to always tell everybody when I don't know the answers, you know, in a team perspective, because of course your, your team will look to you for leadership. And I think you definitely need to, to, to have some focus there. So, so I'm not all about just sort of improvising everything and, uh, you know, not knowing anything, the opposite, it, it, you know, I guess for me, it's about the learning. Um, yeah, because I, I do believe strong leadership is important, and I, you know, so I do keep a lot of things I don't know to myself in, yeah, yeah, you know, when it comes to to, to to leading a team. But just in terms of the growth mindset and and how, you know, I'll never stop learning. Yeah, of course. And I mean, was there that? What, what was the kind of one moment when you felt, I guess, just you know, you kind of assured that you were doing the right thing? Was it? you know, one partner that you signed, maybe the first big, uh, you know, sort of agreement that you had with partners or with restaurants, with hotels. Was there that one kind of defining moment that made you think, yeah, I've actually done the right thing here? Yeah, there's a series of them. I think uh, as entrepreneurs, we're all, all my entrepreneur friends, we're all terrible at actually noting them properly. Sure. And there's, there's a series of them. I guess the first one ever was, a wonderful woman called Nicola Waller, who now is at, at Waitrose, uh, actually, funnily enough. Um, and she helped me get into Selfridges originally. She found us at the Taste Festival back in the day. So that was a really early seminal moment. Um, winning the, the Entrepreneur of the Year with Cordon Bleu literally blew my mind. Um, recently, uh, the last incredible party I probably went to, um, EY, um, the global financial industry, they are a big supporter of mine. And um, I was poured, my, my Prosecco and Naughty, my alcohol free, which hadn't long launched, was poured live at the Entrepreneur of the Year in London, which was an incredible party. Um, and that was a moment for sure. Um, but, but yeah, we're not good enough at celebrating those, I don't think. We're always on to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. And I saw one of your recent posts and you, you tagged some of your, um, yeah, amazingly successful sort of female founders and entrepreneurs as well. And you, you mentioned that, that because you're so, you know, you're constantly thinking about the next thing, right? Which you have to do, of course, running your own business and your own brands, but it can be hard to find the time, I guess, to look back sometimes, right? Yeah. And I think it's only really when people like you ask the questions and then you think yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, and I think every founder, when you hear the stories about exits or, or much later down the line in business, every founder always says that's their regret. It's funny, but it doesn't make it any easier to stop and celebrate. And of course, at the moment, you know, I'm all about people in the real world. And while it's lovely to talk to you on Zoom, you know, I, I love a real life party. Of course, definitely. Well, look, hopefully next year we can definitely sort something out in person. I'd love to do that <laughs> for sure. And I guess, look, I mean, it's a pretty relevant question, unfortunately, now, you know, we've, as lockdown was being lifted, obviously in the UK, things were getting slightly back to normal, or at least it felt like there was normality, you know, coming back into our lives. We've now been hit, of course, with, you know, new measures, and there are obviously new measures in France, Spain, Germany, most, most countries, really. How, how did that affect you as a company, kind of the start of the year? Did you feel that pretty severely, I guess? We love hospitality. I, I love it uh, individually as a person, um, restaurants, bars, um, people. Um, so it was heartbreaking. And um, as a founder, yeah, I found myself the first lockdown in March um, with that sort of moment of, of fear I can remember because we were ballpark at that point 80 85 percent on trade hospitality we were really all about building the brand and the on trade in the in the real world 
um, we've not been focused as dramatically on an off-trade retail and direct consumer piece, albeit existing. So we had to fast focus on, on that angle. And of course, I've since learned a few months on that um, alcohol-free has a real opportunity for growth in the off-trade and, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily need all those sort of on-trade partners to mm. build it. Um, but uh, that, that was, you know, an interesting shift for us. Um, and so this time around, of course, I certainly wouldn't say I was relaxed as a founder, but, but, but I was a lot more relaxed in that we knew the playbook now, but I had to create the playbook in the course of that first week while going back to my point about reassuring the team, you know, which was so important. So there was that strange sort of um, moment founders were facing, leaders were facing, whether it was corporate, startups, whatever, which was I had to put my game face on and assure every, everybody everything would be fine. And of course, people didn't know whether it would or wouldn't be fine, really. Um, but it was my job to ensure that it was fine. And, and I take that responsibility as a leader actually very seriously. So. Sure. I just was working frantically um, from a wellness perspective, way too hard, but you know, that's the, the job of a founder, sadly, um, behind the scenes to ensure that it was fine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's, there's a great guy called um, David Townsend. I've done loads of work with him. He's a successful fintech founder. Um, <clears throat> and he said something at a talk that, that I held with him a few years ago that, you know, if you're in charge of the ship, you definitely shouldn't run because the crew will start to worry. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's it's so important to look after your teams and stuff. And we've seen so many bad examples of that as well, unfortunately, with, you know, companies that haven't looked after people, they've not been transparent at all. So it, yeah, it, it's great obviously to hear and yeah I think everybody listening knows that you definitely care and love your team I'm sure um, it's a big responsibility Adam and I can't pretend I'm always perfect at it people management is something that I think a lot of founders struggle with because I'm the sort of founder you get different types I'm really visionary I love to lead people I'm really creative I've got all kinds of ideas that literally don't stop now that's tough for a team and you, you you know you have to dial that back and obviously you're there everything in a small fast growth business you know i'm their hr director i'm their legal advisor i'm there you literally have all of these hats that i take extremely seriously but i can't pretend that founders like like us who you know find it easy it's not easy but but it's our job to make it look like it is you know what i mean yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose that is where you kind of, you know, it's not sort of suffering silence is certainly the, the wrong term, but I'm sure it's your family that probably feels more of the brunt of that, right? <laughs> than obviously, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a lot now that's seeping into the sort of entrepreneur media space about entrepreneur um, mindset and wellness and, and mental health. And yeah, it's a difficult one to, to even go there, I think. Um, sometimes for entrepreneurs because you, you can't really stop and you, you 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 can't you can't stop actually and and I think for me I just have to find moments that punctuate the madness and uh, that, that that can sort of balance out any mm -hmm. kind of potential insanity seeping in because I think all entrepreneurs are slightly mad it's just how we sort of 
how we stay on the right side of things. Yeah, of course, definitely. Uh, but no, I think we, we've seen so many great movements, you know, so much support with kind of mental health and, and wellness. So hopefully people are really kind of waking up to that and actually seeking help, you know, when you need to. Yeah. So, so. I think that's the key, isn't it? You know, that you just said, that yeah. people are actually seeking the help. Yeah, of course. And, and just checking in with people, you know, as well. I mean, I know you mentioned, obviously, your, your husband's had, you know, a bit of a battle. I mean, my father, for example, he, he has, uh, I think, three different types of cancer now. So, you know, for him, it's about, you know, just we have to check in with him to make sure he's all right with lockdown measures, with friends. I've had friends who have been ill, you know, as a, as a human being, you know, you need to kind of check in with people, as right? So, Absolutely. You know. And I think as a leader, that was my job, really, to, to ensure that that was the focus. And you know, to be frank, because I've got so much to do with the business, I think all founders, if they're honest, would feel this way. You're always so eaten up with that, that sometimes, you know, you, you don't always think you've got the time to be worrying about what, what you may perceive as the small stuff in people's lives. And of course, I've had to recognise that, that what I might be perceiving as the small stuff in their lives might make might be the big stuff for them. And I must take yeah. it very seriously. And that's what I've really been working hard on. Of course. Well, look, I'm sure they absolutely love uh, kind of having you as as their founder. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, Adam. Well, I'll check <laughs> in with them and I'll get you some uh, some reports. <laughs> but uh, how, how big is your team now, by the way? How big is the, the business? Well, it's a bit complex to put a number on. I guess it's sort of, it just falls around 10 because we've got full-time employees and then we've got consultants that work with us on a monthly basis. So so just under 10, really. Yeah, sure. Perfect. And right. On that note, it, the business as we grow isn't really a, a people growth yeah. business because our international partners come on and distribute. So actually for us, it was a strong realization really that we needed just the right people rather than lots of people, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And I think having, you know, three of the right people beat having 10 people that don't really care about your vision or journey, right? So it's about having the right people who are on board with what you want to do and really buy into your to your vision, I guess. And um, have really the skills to execute. I think, um, you know, going back to mistakes, all entrepreneurs make mistakes all the time. And, and, I, and I really thought early days in business that I could really inspire people and grow them into what I thought I wanted them to be and actually um, I had a, a wake-up call at some point where I realized that I needed sometimes pretty high level skills that the journey time of the company might not be able to teach actually so that was quite an important realization for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. And you can, you know, I think passion is obviously so important if you get people who are passionate about having the ability to actually come in and, and help you as well, right? You know, you can't do absolutely everything. So you need, as a founder, you need to have the right people around you to, to support. Yeah, well. and I think the passion thing um, is an interesting one because I think often people want to join startups for the wrong reasons. And going back to my point about how I think the wine industry it's our job to educate i think sometimes it, it, it's we create such a romanticism around entrepreneurialism and startups and working for a founder but i don't think that it's necessarily understood what it entails anyone who's joined me for a corporate says that i have such exacting standards and such an ambitious growth plan and I think that often people looking outward in think working for a founder in a startup is one thing and actually 
they've probably never worked harder. Yeah. And so I think we don't communicate that enough. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, definitely. And it seems like, I mean, obviously you've had an amazing, crazily busy sort of few years because you, you rebranded as well, right? So you actually launched yeah. a different name. And I know you had like the labelling issues and stuff. stuff you name it. Yeah, we had a huge complicated <laughs> legal issue. And yeah, so we had to do a very fast, expensive rebrand. And yeah, I sort of was asked the other day about Brexit, you know, uh, by a a, a newspaper and you know I think as a founder I've I've had you know every which way I've been here you know and I'm still standing and growing so I think I'm probably a good bet as a founder oh we you name the issue now we've had it I mean and someone said are you ready for Brexit and I was like are you kidding founders that's like the least of our worries now you know what I mean we've got the, it's like we've been through Covid if we're still standing now you know exactly piece of cake <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, you know, and just to talk about the last couple of years, you know, most recently, obviously, you've got some amazing partnerships. So you have the official partnership with the Shard. So the views from the Shard, it is your brand and, and you know, your your produce, which people are drinking there now, which is amazing. You know, places like Glen Eagles, of course, as well as some other brilliant, you know, businesses, hotels, restaurants. What, what did that process look like for you? I guess from not necessarily a sales perspective, what, was that kind of off the back of good word, good relationships you had, just getting in touch and reaching out and really shouting about your product? All of those, mm. I think everybody wants an easy answer don't they and I wish there was one because if there was I'd be growing really even faster um all of the above um annoyingly I always feel awkward saying this actually because I, I wish it wasn't this way obsessive hard work literally and all, all of those things um and I think that What's interesting about the opportunity now for businesses, those that, you know, God forbid, have still got an opportunity and, and aren't going under because I'm heartbroken by all of the, the problems out there at the moment. Um, luckily, we've still got an opportunity to, to grow, actually, despite the, the horrible situation around us. Um, it, it is that... Um, Sorry, I just had brain block. You know, you just get complete brain block. Yeah, remind I me the question. I was literally on, a, on one of my wonderful tangents, and then I remind <laughs> me the question. Um, just around, um, I guess, kind of how you went to market. You know, hard you work. Exactly. I got bored myself with thinking about hard work. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's literally just being relentless in your pursuit of the opportunity by any means possible. And I think in the UK with so many eyeballs now online, internationally too, of course, you've got an opportunity. If you keep on making that noise, keep on connecting with people, keep on doing the right thing, even when nobody's looking, um, the opportunities are still there. And actually in some situations that they're there amplified online because mm -hmm. all eyeballs are there. And so, we are literally relentless in our pursuit of making sure that we get the word out there that naughty is there to still make people happy to make them feel good in the morning and i think now probably is needed more than ever by everybody because we all know how easy it can be to self-medicate with yeah. alcohol um you know 
I still have a, a drink sometimes. Um, some of our naughty lovers don't, you know, whether you drink alcohol, don't drink it. That there's so many reasons that people are struggling at the moment. Uh, and I think that if in one small way we can help with that struggle, then I'm bloody delighted. And so going back to the Shard, Glen Eagles, you know, people's homes, having it in your fridge when you want to hear that pop at six o'clock, you know, for me, it was always champagne first and now naughty. That pop of the cork, that noise is what signifies a really warm, special feeling. And I think that we can offer that opportunity in the real world and in people's homes um, with naughty. And that's why I think that, that there's such an incredible opportunity there for us. Um, but yeah, just keep on making the noise and, and and going back to my original point where I didn't want to be thinking myself about hard work, so I lost my tangent. But it's just um, unfortunately yeah. super hard work, which is not usually the answer people want to hear. Yeah, no, of course. And I guess as a as a founder, I mean, look, we we're a brand new business, so we set up nine days before UK lockdown. So we've probably fortunately had the biggest challenge we're probably ever going to face. I guess, hopefully. Well, yeah, yeah don't jinx it. Yeah, I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> in a couple of years time, <laughs> but um, but it's a pretty sobering kind of experience, I guess, as a founder that like you have to make it happen. Nobody else is really going to give it to you, right? Um, yeah, know. and I like your euphemism there, sobering, there you go, that's the word, uh, especially for naughty, but, but absolutely, I think um, no one is giving you anything on a plate, um, absolutely, I think um, the world doesn't know any of us are living, and I think we all realise that now, and, and, and sometimes that's sad, and we've got to make sure that we all do our best to, for anyone slipping through the net, um, I, I really... Um, adamant that that I'm luckier than most um luckier in that I've got a roof over my head and I've got family and friends who, who I think still love me and so I think that there's a huge responsibility in that um and also you mentioned about your father's illness and I think um I've not really had much time to reflect on that like like reflecting on anything but I think my husband's near-death experience probably was very good for me actually it's a strange thing to say but, but I used to always have this joke about relativity with my kids and with my team. And I would always say, you know what, let's try and think about how lucky we are. And these are the reasons why. And I think now, again, you know, my husband survived what was potentially going to be death. And so we're here still standing. And so I think those moments can't be underestimated. And I think that I probably will be shaped by, by them. Yeah, 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 of course. And again, it's probably, you know, it will probably sink in further down the line when you maybe do get a, maybe, maybe the chance to actually get to a beach, perhaps, or actually get some... Oh, don't even. Oh, my God, I miss holidays. I am obsessed with travel and I miss it so much, so much. It's been really painful. I, I played golf uh, last week and I was in the sand bunker and I just thought I should probably be on a beach now, but I'm not. Uh -huh. so <laughs> well, golf course, even that, you're going to start romanticising from bloody exactly. tomorrow or whenever this airs. Last week when it was banned, I, I can't, I'm not going to get at all political, but I couldn't quite work out why golf courses, which strikes me as the most socially distant sport ever, but that's another yeah. story. Exactly. And to be fair, I think most people, uh, if you don't like golf, you'd prefer people who do like golf to be away from you anyway. So <laughs> just let them play. Let them play. <laughs> I find golf is charming. We, we work a lot now with golf clubs. We, we've been at the Grove for a long time. Glen Eagles. We love golf clubs as a brand. Perfect. Well, look, if, if I if I get the chance to play Wentworth or anywhere uh, kind of notable, I'll definitely... Uh, Actually, Wentworth's on my to-do list. 
definitely they need naughty at Wentworth. Here's my pitch. 100%, definitely. <laughs> I'll send this through to, to the people in charge. <laughs> um, and look, I, I mean, one of my kind of next questions is what's next? But I just imagine just more crazy expansion, just getting the brand out there, going to new territories, I suppose, as well. Yeah, the US has always been um, that beast that is tricky. And I think entrepreneurs are always obsessed in the, when, we're, when we live in the UK with the US. And, and we've tried very many different ways of, of permeating various states. But finally, we found the right one, I think, which is hugely exciting. Um, we just uh, launched our direct-to-consumer in California with an incredible partner. I don't know if you know how big California is, but it's huge. So that's got a real opportunity for us. Um, New York, we've got a fine wine partner who, who's brilliant, and he's launching us. Um, in the bars, restaurants, and when they're open, and uh, and retail spaces across New York, which is an incredibly hard nut to crack, and we're in the best hands there with our partner. Um, and also we're in Texas, and then various other states coming online. So that's that's very exciting for us as a brand. Um, also other wonderful places across the globe, Australia, New Zealand, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, um, so many wonderful markets opening up for us. Um, during the first lockdown, Jancis Robinson, who's a very famous wine writer, if you don't know her and her team, declared Naughty um, the potential holy grail in alcohol-free. So that was a moment, going back to moments, oh, yeah. that was a moment and I can't underestimate how helpful that was um, in my phone ringing off the hook. Yeah, for national yeah. expansion and then we've got waitrose and then we've also got a secret squirrel uh naughty bottle launching spring next year so another member of the family which perhaps isn't hard to guess what that might be and then maybe 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 also a, a single serve alcohol-free cocktail mm -hmm. here first Fantastic. Well, look, there we go. We've had a bit of an, a bit of an exclusive. So <laughs> amazing. Um, and yeah, look, I think from just speaking with you for kind of 30, 40 minutes, yeah, your passion and I'm sure ethic is just, you know, your work ethic and, and the rate at which you work is second to none. So I've no doubt you're going to go into some, some even more amazing things because you've already done some, some brilliant stuff. So yeah, I guess from my side as a, as a consumer, just congrats. Um, yeah, it's been a great journey, but I know you're never going to be satisfied right <laughs> no and I, I I need to work on that but but I yeah what is it you you, you sleep when you die right I don't know <laughs> sure. yeah, no. yeah I, I just feel like even as I get a bit older I, I feel like I've got more to achieve I was going okay so how far through my life might I be yeah I I, I keep thinking that I've got so much more to achieve yeah even yeah. after this business yeah yeah exactly and I'm sure yeah this is gonna just yeah just open up so many different ideas and i'm sure your uh, your mind can maybe be a scary intimidating place i guess for somebody who it doesn't own your mind but i'm sure there are some crazy ideas going on all the time yeah not probably that healthy and obviously we all know sleep's very important for mental health so i'm just putting okay. that out 100% and the lack of caffeine maybe that you won't have in an organic Prosecco will maybe help with that as well right so right. <laughs> we're in. we've all got to watch our caffeine haven't we yeah it's, I'm hyper anyway yeah <laughs> of course yeah same here to be fair so um but look just to kind of finish up look firstly thanks so much for your time it's, it's a real privilege to, to get to speak with you and I really enjoyed uh, it thank you yeah, Adam no, really no, 
no we've really enjoyed it and we're definitely watching with you know great anticipation for the brand and you know when it really becomes sort of super widespread you know kind of accessible uh, kind of day-to-day -day lives rather than just online of course as well supermarkets waitrose of course we're, we're really excited for you as a business but um this is kind of it's kind of become our kind of quote section if you like of, of the podcast where we try and take some great sort of sentences and and uh, quotes from from the, our guests but if you were to kind of speak to yourself maybe four years ago when you were starting on your you know your naughty journey your thompson and scott journey i'm sure there are some a number of things you would have told yourself as pieces of advice but is there one thing you would have loved to have known from your future self back then my overriding message is that about making things count mm -hmm. I, I think that life is short and I, as I said I was reminded of that with my husband's near death and I think I've always made things count I've always loved the moment you know and, and I feel that more acutely than possible now so let's let's try and take enjoyment where we can that that's the most important thing I guess um on a on a smaller level I think it's really important to realize for anyone thinking of entrepreneurship or, or just embarking on it um, that not everybody will want you to be successful and you're going to have to find that drive within yourself. Um, I think we're often a society that looks to others to raise us up and for gratification. And of course, we all need to surround ourselves with those cheerleaders. But you are at some point going to have to really work on your own mental health and strength and, and count on yourself, actually, because ultimately, that's all we have is is that control over over our mind and there's an incredible book that, that i always recommend called the chimp paradox i don't know if you're familiar with it but it's about you know how you can try and take that switch when things are going the wrong way and switch your mind and actually go okay i've got this so those those two things maybe yeah, yeah, perfect. And I think even from our perspective, like much smaller scale, you know, we were a small business, we were brand new. So we were quite, um, you know, we, we were, we were able to sort of, I guess, shoulder the, the changes with, uh, with lockdown really, really easily, because there's, there's just three of us. But um, yeah, I think even we've had some really challenging times, right, you know, where, you know, you have, you know, projected, uh, you know, kind of pipelines and clients and partnerships you're working with, which can just get turned off like a tap, literally in, the, in a split second. Um, and, you know, there have been so many times when, you know, you really have to kind of dig deep and sort of pull yourself out of a bit of a hole, right, and say, yeah. cool, this is on me, nobody else is going to help me. So you've got to, yeah, you've just got to flick the switch sometimes and get on with it, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> so. And yeah, and that's, I guess that's the founder or the CEO entrepreneur's job when you're in charge is, Everything good and bad is going to rest with you. The buck's always going to stop with you. It's like when I watch the news and there's a CEO for a really big corporation taking the flag for something. And of course, it's funny as a founder when you watch and you kind of go, you know what? It probably wasn't even your fault, but of course it's your job to take all of that blame, you know, ultimately. It's all on you. If you want the title. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm sure there's 101 questions that I meant to ask, which I'm going to completely forget. So I'd love to catch up next year as well, just to see how things have developed, you know, with your expansion. I'd like that too. Yeah, as the brand continues to grow. But look, if, if you're listening in and you're interested, look, please, you know, head to the, the Thompson & Scott website as well, where you can obviously buy direct. Obviously, you seem to be launching in Waitrose as well as so many other channels. So yeah, please, please go out and grab a bottle and, and let Amanda know what you think for sure.
That'd be brilliant. And actually, I'd be happy to offer anyone listening um, free delivery on a case of naughty if they'd like it. Perfect. Great Let's start. Let's use the code kinder. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Great start. Right. There you go. Exclusive and deals. That's what we give you on Leaders and Founders. So, uh, <laughs> but look, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Obviously, best of luck, uh, you know, with obviously the rest of this year with your continued expansion. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see the uh, the empire that you uh, that you build. Thank you so much, Adam. The pleasure was mine. Thank you. Cheers, Amanda.